Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Welcome, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, and uh, I hope that you are doing well. I hope that your week is going well as uh, summer continues to rage on. My goodness, what is going on with this summer? Um, Super hot in areas that are usually not, and not as hot in areas that usually are. Uh, Down here in south Louisiana, and usually by now, uh, it's 110, 15 degrees just about every day with um, super high humidity, but no rain. And so the last, oh man, 10 years, 12 years, by this time, everything's dead and dry and it's just, it's just awful. But yet there's a lot of humidity in the air. And uh, so it's like you're swimming when you walk outside. It's just crazy. Um, and we have friends I know that, that listen and uh, folks that listen that are up north uh, and even into Canada um, that they're experiencing um, super, super hot weather that's not really, uh, you know, not normal for you guys up there. And we've had a, a rainy, uh, rainy summer and uh, continues to rain. And uh, it's been cooler. I mean, it's been in the 80s and 90s, which for here, for this time of year, actually is cool. Uh, and you guys have been just super hot. So we, we definitely are keeping you in our, in our thoughts and our prayers uh, because I know that most of you guys up in the North, North Pacific Northwest, up into Canada, like I said, are, are just not not equipped for this kind of weather, um, just like we weren't in, uh, what was it, December, January, when we had a massive ice storm. So the weather is just absolutely nuts. Um, I don't believe at all this has anything to do with, when, when we were in school, it was global warming. Now I guess it's climate change, whatever. Um, I believe that Hashem created the earth to self-regulate, and I think that's what we're going through. That's what we go through all the time. Um, the, the, the earth is constantly warming and cooling and doing its thing um, so that uh, we, we can live, you know, so that we all have, have, a, have a chance to, uh, the earth stays sustainable, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I just know that extreme weather is happening and uh, just know that we're, we're praying for you guys that are ex- experiencing weather uh, outside of the norm for your area as you may not be equipped to handle it. Uh, and so other than that, I, I hope everybody's week is going well, and um, we are going to be this week uh, in Parsha Matot, sort of. So this week is a double Parsha, uh, Matot and Masay, and uh, we're going to read a couple verses from Matot, but I really want to talk about something different, uh, tie it in, but uh, a different topic than just uh, the Parsha this week. So, hey, if you guys are listening and you're catching this for the first time, then I want to just say welcome. And um, if you're looking for a fellowship, a Messianic or Hebraic, Hebraic fellowship, and uh, you don't have one around you, or maybe you have a fellowship that meets at a different time, uh, and you're looking for something on Shabbat morning, then I invite you to join us on our live stream every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time. We live stream to our website at outofashesministries.org, and we also simulcast to Facebook and YouTube. And so follow, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe on YouTube. We'd love to, to have you guys as part of the community. 
Um, we do chat on Facebook during Sh- our Shabbat service, so pop in there and tell us Shabbat Shalom. Tell us where you're listening from. We'd love to, to meet you. And uh, if you're a, a veteran of IBR, Image Bearers Radio, then thank you guys so much for sticking along and uh, being building an awesome community. And thank you for all the feedback and everything. As always, we super duper really appreciate it. So as we do each and every episode, uh, I want to just go in and ask the Father to bless our time together uh, as we read his word. Amen. All right, here we go. Father, we bless you and thank you for this time together. I pray for all that are listening, Father, that whether it's weather or whether it's finances or whether it's health or whatever it might be, Father, that you would just uh, bathe them in shalom. Give them the wisdom, Father, to realize that you are with them and, and that we may reflect your image in this world. So, uh, as I said, we are going to uh, read a few verses from uh, Parshat Matot um, and and tie together what I feel is a really important season that we're in. Now, if you caught our live stream uh, this last Shabbat, then uh, you will have heard most of this, but I felt this important enough to do on a an IBR episode as well, uh, because this is all about image bearing. And when we when we talk about image bearers radio, what does that all mean, and why the name, and uh, and and those kinds of things? We've done a lot of work in Genesis, and we did a whole you know several months in in Genesis one, two, and three. We've kind of done a survey of the Tanakh. Uh, we've approached the Gospels, and and that Gospel series is still coming. Don't worry, I haven't forgot. Um, but we we are the whole thing is that humanity, not just you, not just me. Not even just saved people or not even just Torah-observant people. We, humanity, Genesis tells us, was created in the image of Hashem. And it is our job, and we, we stud, if we, we study and we understand um, the culture and context in which uh, the scriptures were written, especially books like Genesis, the ancient Near Eastern world, we understand that there is this relationship between um, the Creator uh, whatever whatever deity, whatever nation saw as their, their deity and their creator, there was a relationship between the creator and the king of that nation, that the king uh, is the, the bearer of that image of the invisible deity. And so in a, in, a, in a culture of injustice and oppression, that's really convenient, right? Because the king says, well, this is, this is our God, and, and I happen to be his his image. And the image of pagan deities was wrapped up in generally one person, and that was the king. And so the king was the son of God. The king was God in some cultures, Egyptian cultures and others. And Genesis really, Bereshit really breaks that mold in the context of their writing and says that, no, Hashem actually created all of mankind in his image, that the, the image of God is not confined to one person. The image of God is is a is a uh, is a, a title and an identity, an identity and a function to all of humanity, and that's super super important. Uh, and so we, on this radio program, we and this podcast, we we're looking at what the Bible speaks of and and how we can better represent the 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 identity that we were given as the image of Hashem. And one of the important things about this is that 
just as we are, we we say, you know, we, our bodies are the temple. Um, we, you alone, and I alone are not the image of Hashem, but as as we as a, a corporate body are, and this can really kind of stretch our theology and make us kind of scratch our head a little bit and go, well, but even the murderer, even the molester, even the this or the that, is the image of of Hashem, and the answer is yes. Are they living up to that image? Are they are they they walking in line with that identity? No, but it doesn't reduce the the plan and the purpose that they were born for, and that Hashem created them them for. So, um, that that's what we're about on this radio program. And so, um, given that, I want to talk today about um, about the season that we're in, and a little bit about the feast cycle, and just we're going to kind of be everywhere. But I want to tie it all together uh, because I think it's really really, really important. So uh, we are towards the end. We're about in the middle, are to, going towards the end of a time in, in Judaism uh, called, uh, what we call in English, the dire straits. And when I say dire straits, I know most of you think of the ban. Um, and, but in, in Hebrew, it's Bain HaMetzarim. Bain HaMetzarim, which uh, is referred to as the three weeks or more kind of accurately, between the straits. So the idea of these, these three weeks starts on the 17th of Tammuz and ends in the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. And the idea of these, these three weeks are uh, a, a period in time in, in the, the history of Israel and in Jewish history uh, where there has been a lot of tragedy and a lot of heartache and a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, chaos and, and confusion and it's been a, a very, very hard time for the Jewish people, and um, particularly the destruction of the second temple. Um, the walls of Jerusalem were breached on the uh, 17th of Tammuz, and the temp- second temple was destroyed on the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. And so the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, when we, when we think about the Creator's calendar, and, and I know that some folks are on the Aviv calendar, some are on the Zadok, you know, the Anakian calendar, uh, the Hillel calendar, which is what we choose to follow at OAM, um, and, you know, different calendars, and, and that's all great and good. Um, this is not a calendar debate, but whatever calendar you're on, we, uh, we, we of course, want to focus on the, the seven major feasts, uh, the three, the Shalosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage feasts, and then the, the feasts that are around them. Uh, so, you know, your Pesach, Hakamatzah, uh, the wave offering, and then uh, Shavuot, uh, Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And, and those are the kind of the hot spots in the calendar. And yet, if we look into to Jewish history, because the Jewish people were the ones that uh, Hashem gave the covenant to and gave the Torah to for preservation and for expansion and for teaching, uh, then we, we really owe it to look at Jewish history and how these people of the covenant and how Hashem worked with them throughout their history um, and, and what, they have, what they have traditionally uh, looked at as important points in their history and how they recognize those on the calendar and how those kind of fit together and, and how they encourage us. And, and so the calendar itself, no matter what calendar you use, the calendar is really, it's really just a, uh, it's a guidepost. It's a, it's a waypoint, um, a large waypoint with kind of many little waypoints inside of it. But the calendar is simply a tool that Hashem uses to point us back to Him, to always be, always be pointing us back to Him. Uh, the moon, I know, was sighted 
I believe last evening, which as a recording of this would have been Sunday, uh, Sunday evening, July 11th. Um, the moon was sighted in Israel. Uh, that would be Sunday night in Israel. And so uh, I believe it's Sunday night. And so this begins Rosh Chodesh Av. Uh, on the Hillel calendar, it was, it was Saturday, Sunday. And so this is Rosh Chodesh Av or the month of Av. And these, these three weeks are a time of really kind of intense um, adversarial, intense can be frustration, can be feeling of anxiety and a feeling of chaos. Um, you, you may feel like, uh, like you, you're pressured or you're anxious or maybe you're really highly tested during the, this time. Maybe you're thinking like, what in the world is going on? And, and what I think is awesome about the, the calendar, uh, not only the calendar that Hashem gives us with the, the Moedim, but the calendar of Israel and, and the things that developed in Israel's history, the patterns that developed, is that they really are, um, they really are a, a sign and a symbol of the heartbeat of Hashem. And, and so they all require us to point ourselves back to Him. They're always asking us to take note of, of Hashem and where we are. Um, some of the calendars that some of us come from and the celebratory cycles that we come from, maybe it was once a year, maybe it was twice a year, three times a year that you really kind of, you know, you, you gussied up and you went to church or, or whatever. And, and it may have been meaningful times for you. I'm not, I'm not taking that away. But um, the, the beautiful thing about the, the Jewish calendar and, the, and the, the calendar that we have in Scripture as its basis is that it's all year long. It's It's constant. Just when you just when you think like okay well I can kind of I kind of have a break from the celebrations no there's something else coming around either that is commanded in scripture or that has been a part of of Israel, Israelite and Jewish history uh, that is important and that should be at least recognized and looked at as it its only function its main function is to turn us back to Hashem and turn us towards the Jewish people so um, this three weeks um, is has been a really tre- testing and trying time. I know just this last this year uh, during uh, Bain HaMetzarim, um, there's been a, a lot of attacks on rabbinic fam, rabbi, you know, families of rabbis, villages where um, and, and communities where uh, where there's you know rabbinic families that live and uh, and high profile rabbis and stuff, and it's it's just been you know by the Palestinians and it's been a, it's been an awful awful time. Add to that uh, the you know this new Delta variant and stuff of COVID that Israel is having to deal with and 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 all these things is just it's been a really trying time. So. Um, this between the straits is so. My point is, if if you are feeling, if you're connected to Hashem and you're feeling something different this last couple of weeks, notice that you're we're in a time where traditionally in the land of Israel and the nation of Israel there has been a lot of upheaval. So you're you're in line with kind of the, the heartbeat of the Father. So this is Rosh Chodesh Av. Um, now there's a lot of consternation, and you know, well, the biblical months get their names from Babylon, et cetera, et cetera. And that's true that that after the Babylonian return, or during the Babylonian exile and the return, the the months were named, um, and, uh, and and a lot of those names do have a Babylonian tie, which is the culture they were in. And we do the same thing. We use uh, we use cultural names for things, uh, and so I, I don't I don't make a, a whole big bone about that. But something about the month of Av. The month of Av, uh, kind of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, of course, is very, uh, it's a very tough month in the nation of Israel, in the history of Israel. Um, but there is something about Av, if we know Av in Hebrew, what does Av mean in Hebrew? What well, means father, right? Abba, 
of um, his father. And I didn't know this, but there's, I heard uh, Rabbi Chaim Richman talking about this last week. There is a longer name to the month of Av. We just call it Av, but uh, the full name is Menachem Av. Menachem Av. And Menachem means um, comfort. And so the, the month of Av, while it is so tragic and it has been such a, a tough time traditionally in the nation of Israel, it can be, it's a paradox between some of the darkest times in Israel's history and yet this idea that there is a comforting father, there's Menachem Av that is there holding Israel and, and holding us through this, through this time. And, and I think it's really, it, it portrays what we all, where our hope is and, and how we all see Hashem, that when we are at our, our, our most troubled, when we are at our darkest, when we were, you know, we were in the deepest part of the valley, um, that we hope that that is when God is closest, you know, he, he is closest to the brokenhearted. And so it's a beautiful reminder of the way that Hashem deals with us, and the, the way that Yah, you know, walks with us and, and cares for us. Um, so the month of Av, um, it, we, we have to, we think about hardship, we think about trouble, we think about chaos, and, and I know I've been through it. Have you? I mean, have you been through some hard times? Have you been through some, some chaos, health issues, um, you know, financial struggles, marital issues, uh, you know, issues with kids and challenges, with family, with work, um, just, you know, personal, mental, mental health and stuff? I mean, we've, we've, if you're alive and you've lived, you know, if you've lived this long, you've been through some hard times. And so this month of Av really contributes to that. And I, I, I've, I think about this a lot um, because I tend to be one. Those that know me know this, but many of you don't. So I'll just kind of be transparent. I tend to be one that doesn't handle adversity very, very well. Um, I tend to, think, tend to take things really personally. And, and I, I grew up with a theology that kind of said that, well, God is a one-to-one God. Because in Scripture it says, in Deuteronomy 28 and other places, it says, if you'll obey me and do, you know, do what I say, then I will bless you. And if you don't do what I say, then I'll curse you. And so for me, whether it was taught to me or whether it was just kind of the way my young mind put it together, um, if I messed up in sin, then I should expect something negative to happen. So or if something negative did happen, and I was unaware of a, a you know, blatant outright sin in my life, something negative did happen, that means that there's a covered sin somewhere that I don't know about. And God's trying to get my attention because, because he's a one-to-one God. We call it retributional theology. And so if I do something good, something good should happen, and I should expect that. If I do something bad, then something bad should happen. So if I, if I get angry and pop off several you know, words and profanity, curse words, whatever, then I should get a flat tire or, you know, my, my, you know, air conditioning should go out or I should lose my wallet or, you know, there, there should be something. Um, and, and yet that's not really how it works at all. And as I've grown and as I've, I've healed and as I've studied more and, and, and my relationship with the Father has grown, that's not really the way it, it works. Um, some, some really, really, really wonderful, sincerely wonderful, godly people um, you you are maybe one of those. I'm sure you are one of those. But you know people that you just look at and go like, what did they do to deserve what is going on? You know, in their lives. And so we know that. And on on the the opposite side, we've seen some really terrible people do really really well. You know, as as defined by worldly standards. So we know that that retributional theology really doesn't doesn't work that way. But we th- I think about this a lot, and I think, okay, how can I better handle adversity? And I've come to the conclusion that it's not so much what happens to me as how I 
think about what happens to me, how I react to, and not even the reaction, but the reaction to the events are going to happen, right? Life, and this is kind of crude, but um, I had someone in my, a good friend of mine in my past used to always say, hey, life sucks, get a helmet, right? So in other words, just be ready for it. Um, just be ready for things to you know, come knock you about. That's just what life is. And so it's not the events. Um, and then I react to things that, that happen negatively. I have a flat tire. You know, I get in my car and it doesn't start. Or, you know, something the house breaks or whatever. Or, you know, my kids make a dumb decision and, and, you know, messes up our schedule or whatever. And, and I just immediately react. And the reaction is not even the, the, the root of the issue either. I think it's, for me, it's how I think about events in life. How I think about what I call negative events and uh, our trouble or mistakes or tragedies or whatever. And, and it's how I think about those things. So the month of Av and the consoling father should, should teach us and should help us to understand that tragedy and hardship, whatever happens in our lives that we view as negative, we have to remember that those things always are filtered through the hands of God. Now, some, some would say they are from Hashem um, because he's the source of everything. And I would tend to agree with that. Um, there are hard things that we can't explain, and, and I can't explain them, and, and I don't know anybody who can. And yet you have, we have other people that you know, um, spend so much time rebuking the devil um, that it almost makes me, makes me wonder. And I, and I know I've been, in those, I've been in those circles. I've been into that teaching um, that you know, we have to rebuke the devil, rebuke the devil, and every, you know, oh, the devil's after me, and oh, man, you know, the devil's just... You know, he's just, he's after me. Something must good must be coming because the devil's just, at, you know, he's got his sights on me, you know, whatever. And the old devil's trying to beat me down. And, and, and the, if, you, if we listen to ourselves or we listen to other people, based on our speech and on our attitude, it, it almost sounds like we worship the devil more than we worship God. We worship Satan more than we worship God because we focus on the negative. We focus on the attacks. We focus on, on the hard stuff. And we focus on the source of that, which we believe is, is Satan. And, and it, it, it makes me wonder, who are we really worshiping? Who is our mind set upon? Who is our heart set upon? Are we so focused on rebuking and, and on the hard stuff that we forget about the good stuff, the peace and the victory um, that we do have? And so the tragedy and hardship comes from Hashem, either, either directly from Him or at least it's approved by Him, um, and, and not, not ultimately a malevolent figure. And that all of these things are for our good. If we believe that he's a good father and we believe that he is, he is ultimately a good God, then we have to believe that they are for our good. Um, we know this with our children. Those of you that have children or you've been around children, you know, sadly, humanity, even though we're the height of creation, that, that Hashem created all of this beautiful world. And if we look out over this world, it's beautiful. I mean, just the majesty of the created world from the, the vegetation and the trees and, and the animals and, and the insects and, and all of those things, even the things we think are icky. They're, they're brilliant. I mean, they're miraculously designed. And yet Hashem looked at all of those things and said, everything is good, but there's still something missing. And then he created you and I. He created humanity. Wow. I mean, that should be really humbling and, and, and really put us in a, a frame of mind and think like, we, we, are, we are ultimately special to Hashem. And yet, being the height of creation, there's really one fundamental way that we are, that is proven for us to learn lessons. There's one way that we, that we know that we will learn a lesson when LS has failed. 
and that is through pain. And so again, it's kind of this, this dichotomy between brilliant and beautifully sophisticated creation called humanity and the kind of Neanderthalic way we learn is through pain. Right? We've all, if you've had children, we've all gone through the hot stove thing or through the hot, you know, the hot lessons, don't touch it, it's hot. Well, what does your child have to do to realize what it is? They have to touch it. They have to touch it or lick it or whatever. They have to realize, they have to learn for themselves through pain. And, and so pain is an adversary. And Hashem knows that we are motivated that way. And so he, being a father, uses that just like we do with our own children. We don't want to hurt them. But we know that if they won't listen to our words and our counsel and our wisdom, that may be the only way to get their attention. And we know that it's always for their good. We never intend ill on our children. We want their best. So much so that if it takes a little discomfort, if it takes a little pain, then so be it. To, to get them to a place where, where they'll know better the next time. Segment, we'll jump into our Parsha and the month of Av. Guys, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we're talking about the month of Av, uh, the um, Bein HaMetzarim, the three weeks between the straits, uh, Rosh Chodesh Av, the month of Av. So we're talking about tragedy and hardship and that those things come from Hashem, or they at least are approved by Hashem for the children of God. Um, the second thing I want to point out about, about hardship uh, is that destruction or what we see as destruction is is always for the sake of rebuilding in God's economy and in, in kingdom in kingdom principle that if you're ever going to remodel your house you're going to do a bathroom remodel the first thing you're going to do is do a tear out right if you're remodeling your kitchen you're going to tear out whatever's in there that you don't like in order to rebuild it even if you're building a brand new structure in an open field the ground has to be torn up, has to be prepared, new dirt has to be brought in. There has to be some, some destruction, some upheaval before there is a rebuilding. So in our lives, the a wonderful testimony when I taught this Shabbat, a lady came up and after, afterwards and said that somebody was praying with her one time and, and uh, she, the, the lady, um, was, was just asking for this trial to be over. And, and the lady that was praying with her said, you, you don't want this trial to be over because there's a lesson here that you need to learn. There is a, there's a new beginning here for you. And if you bypass this trial, you, you push off that new beginning, that new uh, thing, that new level, whatever you want to call it, that paradigm that Hashem is trying to, trying to show you. And again, relate this to, your, to our children and the way, that we, the way that we teach and guide and lead and train our children. And so destruction... Uh, hardship, catastrophe is always for the sake of rebuilding. It's always to build a foundation for something that's new. Um, thirdly, it, it's everything in life is beckoning us to, to a passionate and consistent loyalty and walk with Hashem. Everything in life. That's what existence is. If you are, if you are a child of God, if you are, are, are a covenant, um, you know, if you are in the covenant with Hashem, the, the experience and existence and, and life and everything that happens in it 
should always be pointing us back towards and, and, and increasing and, and giving us more of a, a loyal and passionate relationship with Hashem. That's how we should see things. That's not how we do see things, maybe, but it's how we should see things. This is all again about not how, how hard times come or how we even react to them, but how do we think about them? And I believe if we think about them differently than we have, then we will see the good in those things. And, and I'm not good at this. I've, I've been transparent, and I'll just confess, I'm not good at this. But I'm trying because I, don't, I believe God is good, and I believe he wants the best for me and for us. And what I don't want to do is continue to live in cycles where life is a drudge and a, tre- a, you know, a, a trudge, and it's, I'm always waiting for the next shoe to drop. I'm always waiting for the next thing. I'm always bracing for the next you know, bit of destruction or chaos in my life. I don't, I don't think that's at all how Hashem wants us to live. And yet many, 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 many believers do live that way, and, and it affects the effect we have on the world then, uh, which is our, you know, our ultimate calling outside of relationship with God. And so um, th- this is... This is really important, that everything in life is beckoning us and, and pulling us to that passionate relationship with, with Hashem, whether, it's a, whether it's, it's a strengthening of character that needs to happen, uh, or whether it's a, just a new lesson that we need to learn that we're ready for, or whether it's, it's making Teshuvah and it's repentance. Um, all these things, our are, are direction is back towards Hashem. They're, um, they are not for our destruction if we're in the hands of God. They are for our betterment. Uh, if we don't think of them the right way, they can destroy us. They, they can have the adverse effect. And so that's why it's so important that we change the way we think, that we think about how we think about these things, right? So let's talk about the month of Av because this has been a, uh, a tremendous you know, uh, time in the history of Israel. Before we do that, I want to read just a couple verses from Parsha Matot. So we're going to start in uh, Bamibar Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, where the Parsha begins. It says, And Moshe spoke to the heads... Of the tribes of Israel, saying that the word tribe, that's the title of our uh, Parsha, um, is Matot, the tribes. Um, in, in previously, if I'm not mistaken, the tribes have been called um, Shararim, I think, uh, which is, that word might not be right, so forgive me if it's not. Um, but the, the idea there is kind of family units. It's kind of disjointed, the, the sons of Israel. Um, as in family tribes. Here, the word matot indicates or seems to indicate a more unit, like a national, the tribes within a nation. So more of a unification. Um, and remember that the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, um, is, is not so much about numbers. There's a lot of numbers, of course, in it. Um, and it's not so much about, you know, growing up, hearing about the book of Numbers and just reading through it a little bit, you know, through my, my Christian upbringing. Um, I saw the numbers, and, and I hated math, so I thought, like, why in the world would I want to read this book? I, it says, this, no, this was a no-go from the beginning. What I didn't know is that in Hebrew, originally the book was called Bamidbar, right? In the wilderness. How many of, how many of us have faced wildernesses and maybe are going through a wilderness right now? Or will go through a wilderness, you know, certainly all of us will face a wilderness at some point. Had I known that there was a whole book in Scripture dedicated to wilderness experience, I'd have been all over it, right? But I just didn't, didn't realize that's what it was. Couldn't get through the numbers hang up. Didn't realize what it was. But even more than the numbers or more than the wilderness experience, I believe the book of Bamidbar is preparing for the promise. It, it's the nation of Israel, the new generation, and Hashem, um, with the help of Moshe and, and Aaron, and the, the, the leaders and the tribes and all, they are, they're preparing to enter the promised land. This is, this is the staging ground for, for entry into the promised land. 
It's, it's wonderful to, to have God's promise, but it's kind of like a dog that chases a car. What are they going to do with it when they catch it? And the same is true with us. We ask God for blessings. We ask God for, for new seasons. We ask God for, you know, all these things. But do we, are we going to be able to take advantage of them when they happen? Some of us are not wealthy or not, not, you know, we don't have extra in our finances because God knows that we couldn't handle it. We've proven that we couldn't handle it before. Some of us don't have a bigger circle of influence because we're, we're just bad at people. We're bad at relationships. And if God gave us more relationships, we'd just have more stuff to mess up, right? And so we, this wilderness times are not, you know, they're not only for consequence, for reasons of teshuvah, but they're also for training for what's to come. Yeshua said, him who much is given, much is required. And these wilderness seasons are for that requirement or to satisfy that requirement so that we can be the best stewards of what God is giving us because we are his image and we want to represent him well. So Moshe spoke to the tribes of the children of Israel saying, this is the thing that Hashem has commanded. If a man will take a vow to Hashem or swear an oath to establish a prohibition on himself, he shall not desecrate his word. According to whatever comes from his mouth shall he do. And we've heard about vows and oaths before in the book of Vayikra and Leviticus, um, and it comes up here again, even though it, the little context is a little bit different. But I want to talk for, for a more moment before we get into, into Av, really, and, and talk about some of the history of Av. I want to talk about vows and oaths. So in the original Hebrew, or in Hebrew, a vow um, seems to be more of a positive thing. In other words, telling Hashem, I will do this, and making a commitment to do something, a positive or, and then the oath seems to be more of a negative or a prohibition on yourself, saying, I'm going to refrain from this, or I'm going to prohibit myself from this. And we've been in this situation where we've been in a hard time. We've been between the straits, um, possibly. And, you know, we've said, if, if you get me, if you answer this prayer, if you, you know, and it even could be for a loved one or a child, if you answer this prayer, then, you know, I promise I'll never do X, Y, Z again. Well, that's an oath. Or if you, you know, I, I, Father, if you answer this prayer, you know, I'll commit to, to Bible study, you know, I'll commit myself more to your word or whatever. That's a vow. That's a positive. And these things are very, very important to Hashem. They come up in Vayikra. They come up here again. And the wording and the language is very, very strong. In, in Vayikra, um, the, the language is do it immediately. If you take, make a vow or an oath, do it immediately. And these are particularly things to Hashem. And so as a, I'm a worship leader by by, you know, upbringing. That's kind of where I, I always have found my, my connection with Hashem. It's what my ministry has been for a long, long time. Uh, only recently, the last, you know, maybe eight or ten years, have I really taken on, taken on teaching and grown to love it. But, you know, it, this really hit me in the, in the worship that we sing, uh, in the songs that we sing. And I, as I go back through the catalog of stuff that I've sang over the years and led in worship, we have to be careful what we sing in worship. Um, so this is just kind of a caution, I'm, you know, and I'm not to make anybody feel guilty or to cast judgment on, on what your favorite worship songs are. There's some great stuff out there. Um, but in, we have to be very, very careful. When we sing songs about full surrender and, and all those things, we, we may take them as a great intention and, and an ideal. This is ideally what I would like my life to be. God takes those things very, very seriously. And even though we may sing it as a pretty melody or we may be caught up in the moment, um, and our intention may be great, we have to be careful about what we commit in, in times like worship and prayer. Um, very, very 
uh, it's very, very important. Hashem addresses this in the Torah at least twice. And so these vows and oaths that we, that we take, we have to be very careful um, what we say. We have to be measured in what we say, and we have to, as Yeshua said again, we have to count the cost of what we're going to vow to Hashem. When we, when we vowed to follow Yeshua, and when we made oaths that we were going to not do all the, we were going to turn from our, our previous life and not do all those things and make the vow to be loyal to him, he is very plain to say, you know, nobody builds a house without first counting the cost. And we need to be very particular in how we do that, not only at the inception of our relationship, but as we continue and as we grow in, in our relationship. So let's move off of vows and oaths for a minute. And I just want to go through Tisha B'Av. Many of you might already know some of these things, but um, I think it's important. Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, is a day of catastrophe and a day of, of, uh, that's been really tough in the, in the life of Israel. So here's just a list of a few things. You can go on and Google and, and find maybe more things. But um, the first account from tra- the Jewish tradition that <clears throat> happens on the ninth of Av is when Noah opens the windows of the ark and sees the, the destruction of the flood, only the mountaintops, as it's described in Bereshit. Um, and he, he uh, uh, an incredible anxiety and fear and, and almost depression falls over him, according to the Midrash, that he, he, he doesn't know how this is going to be rectified. He doesn't know how God is going to, to restore all of this. And, and what, a, what an incredibly dark day it was for Noah. Um, the sages tell us that that was on the ninth of Av. Uh, also on the ninth of Av, the spies return from the land with a bad report. We read that Parsha a few weeks ago, that the spies come back and, and this is where, and, and look at what this, this happens on the ninth of Av. Look at what this, um, this occurrence happens and it, look at the domino effect that it, it gives. You have Korach after that and you have the uh, Balaam and Balak after that and you have all these things that are set in motion um, and the, because the people's hearts were weakened. The people's hearts were affected by this report. That happens on the ninth of Av. Uh, next on the ninth of Av, Aaron dies. Now, Aaron's an interesting figure, that, and as I study more uh, about him from a Jewish perspective, we don't know a lot about Aaron, or, or in, and maybe in the church you grew up, you weren't really taught a lot about Aaron. You know, maybe he was the high priest. You know, he was the brother of Moshe and, and Miriam. Um, but what do we really know about Aaron? And from my upbringing, is not very much. And yet Aaron is, is talked about a lot in rabbinic literature. And Aaron is known as the peacemaker of Israel. Um, that, that Aaron's kindness is what, and, and his, his desire for peace is what really, um, what really identifies Aaron. And which is one of the reasons why the sages say that Hashem chose him as the first Kohen Gadol. Because he's the peacemaker between the people and Hashem. He's the, he's, he's the one that shows Hashem's kindness to the people. I think that's awesome. And we see this even in the, you know, even in the dire occurrence of the golden calf. Aaron, you know, these people are in an uproar because Moshe is still in the mountain, and, and Aaron just wants to make peace. So he goes, okay, give me all your earrings, right? And the, the Torah uh, attributes him to the making of the fashioning of the golden calf. In an effort to bring peace and to bring tranquility to the people, albeit misguided, no doubt, but th- this is the characteristic of Aaron. Um, the, the great Rabbi Hillel would tell his, his students, be of the disciples of Aaron, loving creation and drawing people to the Torah. That's a paraphrase, but that, that's even Hillel and the first century rabbis, pre-first century rabbis understood uh, that Aaron's identity was in his kindness and his, his peacemaking. 
And what did we say the month of Av was? The month of Av, Menachem Av, the consoling father. And so we can see this even in the death of Aaron. Uh, there's incredible you know, uh, ideals in Judaism about um, the death of a Zadik, of a righteous one, that brings consolation and, uh, and atonement even to a generation because of, of their, uh, their closeness to Hashem. Uh, they, they bring atonement and consolation for the rest of the nation. It's just so this idea of the month of Av, even though Aaron dies on the ninth of Av, this infamous day in Jewish history, is his death is actually for Israel's consolation. That's just another paradigm. It's just beautiful. Uh, most people will know that the destruction of the first temple, of Solomon's temple, happens on the ninth of Av. And the destruction of the second temple happens on the ninth of Av. We're going to come back to those at the end. Um, but those are very important. The reason why we, we kind of notice the three weeks is because on the 17th of Tammuz, when the, the uh, Bain Mitzarim begins, uh, this is when the walls of Jerusalem are breached by the Romans in, in 70, 68, 70 AD. The walls are breached on the 17th of Tammuz. The temple falls on the 9th of Av. And so there you have the, the three weeks ending with Tisha B'Av. Um, just a few more, and then we'll come back to the temple. Um, something I didn't know, that the expulsion of the Jews from England uh, in the year 1290 began on the 9th of Av, began on Tisha B'Av, another exile type of, of you know, of, of a pattern. Uh, also, the ex, ex, uh, expulsion of Spanish Jews from Spain, the Sephardi, uh, Sephardim, in 1490 began on the 9th of Av. Um, World War I begins on the 9th of Av. And then having to do with World War II, uh, the Treblinka death camp opens and begins operating uh, with the start of the deportations from Poland, the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, that happens during the Second World War on the 9th of Av, that this, uh, this death camp opens up, concentration camp. And so those are just a few of the list of things that have happened in the nation of Israel on the 9th of Av, this infamous day. But I want to go back to the destruction of the First and Second Temple and why, why these things are important. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 2. Now, I know that we, the way you grew up maybe and your background, and I, I refer to that a lot because to know where you're going, we kind of got to know where we've been. Um, we, we weren't taught a lot about a temple or the temple's just a building or that, you know, the, the Jews, you know, blah, 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 whatever we think they believed about the temple, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to offer that the temple is, functions much like the calendar. Yes, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Mishkan and the, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, the holy temple, are, are where the house, the Shekinah, the, 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 the place where God's presence resided in the Mishkan, the temp, tabernacle, and the first temple. And we know for sure. And, and yes, that is of utmost importance. That is, that is the most important thing, where, where Hashem's presence resides. And yet, the building and the structure are, are all things that, again, point us to relationship, to believing loyalty and passionate following and walking with God. Um, with, without, we see this in the prophets. And, and part of the reason I believe that is not a third temple yet is because God wants people's hearts before he sticks a building in front of them. Because you and I both know that many well-meaning Christians go to church every Sunday, and it's a, it's a building that they go to, and they act one day differently of the week, and that's Sunday, then they do the rest of the week because you're in a building and there's some kind of persona that you have, some kind of mask you have to wear when you're in this building that's different from the way you live the rest of the week. And, 
and this is not this is not what how the fu- temple is supposed to function. The temple is supposed to promote growth and promote loyalty. And so, um, I want to read this in Isaiah chapter two because this is the point, and this is why the Jewish people today fast on Tisha B'av and why they mourn the temple. Um, as much as any other event that happened on Tisha B'Av, their focus is around the, the temple. And we don't understand it because we didn't grow up in this, this understanding. But this, this is one of the reasons why. It's just one of many, many passages that I, I want to read to you. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 says, It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Adonai's house will stand firm. Now the house there is Habayit. That's another name for the temple. The Mount of Adonai's house will stand firm as the head of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills. And that doesn't mean that Jerusalem is going to, the hill, you know, Mount Zion is going to grow, you know, literally. Uh, but its status in people's lives and its place in, in the world scene. And it says, and all nations will flow to it. And this is not talking about Jews. This is talking about us. It's about the nations. The goyim will flow to it. Verse three, then many peoples will go and say to each other, to other people, come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For Torah will go out from Zion and the word of Adonai from Yerushalayim. This is, this is, the, this is the, the point. This is the point of the temple. Not only that it houses the Shekinah, the presence of Hashem, that is utmost, not only that it, it is a place for um, the Jewish people to worship and to learn Torah, that is absolutely of utmost importance, but ultimately that those two things in, in tandem, in partnership, are so that the Torah and so that the wisdom of God can reach the entire world, can radiate and call people to it. And I love how Isaiah puts it, that people are going to look at other people and go, hey, we, you got to come with me. We got to go to this. We got to go see this thing. There's some blockbuster movies coming out over the next couple of weeks. And everybody's going to go to the movies. If you go to the movies, those that will go to the movies will go and they'll come back and say, you got to go see this movie. It's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the CGI and the blah, blah, the acting, whatever. It's all great. Well, the scripture tells us that at some point, this is how the temple is going to be. That all the nations will stream to it and we will learn his ways and to walk in his paths. I just think that's incredible. There's a great quote from, uh, from, uh, from Midrash Rabbah. This is um, Bamidbar Rabbah. So the Midrash on the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, on the book of Numbers. And it starts out, uh, this is in the first, first section. Uh, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, listen to this quote. I, this, is just, it, this gives me goosebumps every time I read it. Rabbi Yehoshua ben, uh, ben Levi said, if the nations of the world knew how the holy temple, or knew how good, excuse me, if the nations of the world knew how good the holy temple was for them, they would surround it with fortifications in order to guard it. Wow. So that's, this is how the Jewish people see the temple. Not only is it their temple to house their God, where it's their thing and Gentiles are excluded, but in a, in a more general understanding that, no, this, this temple is the, it's the Garden of Eden for, for the nations. This is a, a replay of Genesis, Genesis 2, Genesis 1 and 2. This is about the nation. And we can debate about the third temple all we want. We, the book of Revelation, John saw a place where there was no temple. That's great. 
That's Genesis 2. There's no building in Genesis 2. There's a garden in a place called Eden. And, and that's what Revelation looks like. As, as a great Bible teacher, Mike Clayton, always asks, where's the beginning of the Bible? It's in Revelation 21. And it's at the end of Revelation. It's a whole big circle. And so whether or not there's a third temple is not, a, it's not an issue. It's not a, uh, it doesn't take anything away from Yeshua, and it doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from the fact that at some point Hashem will be here himself and there'll be no need of a temple. It's the next step in prophetic pro- uh, progression. And, and it doesn't mean that Satan's going to build a new temple because the, or the Antichrist because it's going to be his throne. It means it gets defiled again, just like it, ha- it has in, in history, if we know anything, with the Maccabeans. With the, I mean, it, this is the same story. It's a replay. There's another cycle coming through. And so I don't get hung up about the third temple because it, it's, it's part of the plan. It's part of the prophetic process. And so what does this all have to do with being the image of God? As I said before, the Jewish people are a Jewish people even today for two reasons, in my opinion. One is the providence of Hashem. God promised to protect him. He gave promises to Abraham, to the patriarchs. God has done his part to preserve the Jewish people, the covenant people, without whom we would have no Bible. But I want to just draw attention to a less uh, considered uh, reason for the existence of the Jewish people. It's because there was a mountain And a group of people stood and said, whatever you say, we will do without hearing the rest of the contract. Moses came down, gave a couple of commandments, mitzvot from God. And the people said, stop, we can't hear this anymore. You go up and speak to and come back and speak to us. But just know that whatever God says, we will do. They made a vow. God has taken it seriously, but so has the Jewish people. And that's why they exist today for our good. And they are a blessing to us. Be good to one another, and we will catch you again next week. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.